What about swearing, mate? Are we allowed to swear? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest Fancast pre-match. Today, I've got with me another Wolves legend, and he's just asked me off camera whether he's allowed to swear. He can swear all he fucking wants. It's Alex Ray. How you doing, Alex? I'm okay. I, I wasn't quite sure. I know how posh you lot are in the black country, so I wasn't quite sure whether I could use the odd expletive. It's a, bit, it's a bit like yourself, Alex. With the accent, you can swear and, and pass it off as, try, as trying to be posh. Oh, well, this is true. Yeah, well, I learned all that out up at uh, Perton Ridge. You know, some of the posh people out in Perton Ridge. Big Don. Big Don was my neighbour. Donald Goodman. That's um, Don Goodman, man. Uh, the, uh, Don King, I think he was, wasn't it, with that barn that he has? Yeah, he's always had a good doer. Uh, it seems to have got better as he's got older as well. Nah, he's a great lad. He's a great lad. So what, what's, your, what, what's your sort of, uh, what are you up to nowadays? I know you've got um, a, a podcast, a Rangers podcast. Do you want to just run us through that? Aye, well, we, we, uh, we started up seven or eight months ago now, just about a month or two into the season. And uh, it's me and Mark Cately, and it's like it's like the Prince and the Pauper, really. You know, you've got Big Mark who played for Monaco, England, uh, Milan, and uh, and then you've got me from East End of Glasgow, kind of keeping it real. And but it's great fun, um, you know. And on the back of this season, it's been remarkable. It really has. Um, so it's been good. You know, and we do we do post match reaction. We we interview similar to yourself. Uh, we interview ex Rangers players, people employed by the club. Uh, the, the the women's team uh, manager. So we we try and cover as many bases as charity foundation. So it is Rangers orientated. It's been great this year because we've managed to get title fifty five. And as everyone knows at Wolves, I've, every time I done my column and the Express and Star, all I spoke about was uh, Rangers. So um, everyone knows how close I am to the club. Yeah, what's your boy on club, isn't it? I've, I've had to listen to a couple of your episodes. Listen to um, the episode we've former Wolves winger Mark Walters earlier on today and uh, I did really appreciate how he mentioned that Villa was the biggest club in the Midlands and you sh- and you, you shut that down pretty quickly. Oh listen, listen, yeah, there's, listen, there's only one club in the Midlands, everyone knows that when you get back to, I have to say I've been really impressed and I know we're not kind of touching on this particular theme at the moment but I've been really impressed with Wolves in the last couple of years. Yeah. From the top down, and I think you have to have an important owner uh, who have real keen interest, and then the infrastructure that's been put in place has been brilliant. The brand of football has been great as well, and and I, and I just think recently, you know, because of what happened to Jimenez, it's been a real blow to the the kind of. He's been such an integral part of the team. I think it's it's obviously cost them this season, uh, and I think there'll be a lot of learning curves on the back of that for for Nuno the board. Uh, the director of football and things. So I think going forward, I think they'll have a, a backup plan if the, in case this happens again. When was the last time that you actually visited Compton? Because I'm not sure if you're aware, we haven't got the porter cabins anymore. Where you get dressed in? Do you know? Do you know the thing is this? That, well, listen, it, it's funny because um, I played some of my best football at porter cabins. Uh, we we obviously had that when I joined Wolves with the uh, the porter cabins, and then when I went to uh, Sunderland. Uh, we were playing some terrific stuff. We were in the top seventh in the Premiership, and we we're getting changed at Porter Cabins. And I think, I think that kind of brings you. Up. I know things have moved on, but I, th- I like all that. It brings everybody together, and sometimes you've got to go in and get a shower pronto before the water's cold and that type of thing. And 
it just it just adds to the the kind of the blend that goes on in the dressing rooms, the togetherness. But I haven't tested the waste. I haven't. Been, sorry, mate. I haven't. Been, I actually haven't been down to the training ground, but I've I've been down doing a little bit of questers at various. Uh, but I've been down. I've been down to Compton uh, at various organisations, uh, doing question and answers about my time at Wolves, and it's it was great. Big Paul Butler was down there. And, uh, visited a, a few uh, pubs in about the Wolves area. Yeah, I, I, as I said, I did a bit of research on you earlier, and, and Paul Butler, according to TransferMarket.com, is the player that you played most within your career. Over, I think it was over 120 games with Paul Butler. You you appeared in for Wolves and Sunderland. Was he sort of one of your, your your closest mates at Wolves? Who was your sort of who was your best mate at the time at Wolves? Oh, cool. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, me, and Big Butts got on brilliantly because um, when he, we we had a it suddenly a successful period as well, and then obviously he was there, and then obviously I, I recommended Jody Craddock to come to Wolves as well uh, because I knew what he'd bring to the table. And when you look at the three players that I've just mentioned, myself, Jody, and, and Big Butts, we're very committed individuals. So, um, so I was pally. Uh, I used to drink with that lot as well when before I gave it up. Um, so Big Butts was always uh, he was good. Um, and 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 the one thing about Paul Butler was it was always important uh, to have someone like Butts on your side, particularly when it kicked off. And I was one of these wee guys with a wee shite bag. So I was always wanting to go toe-to-toe with people. But once it got onto the pitch or into the tunnel, it was important to have someone with the biggest head in football to back it up in case he had to fucking throw that big head on any of my rivals. You're pretty much the epitome of me there, Alex. I'm only five foot three. <laughs> I, love, I love the banter. I love to roll people up. That's just you, But you have to have some people to take into the battle with you so you pick your battles wisely. Um, let's let's just quickly go back to you joining Wolves, uh, £1.2 million from Sunderland at the time, signed by Dave Jones. Um, how did that deal come about? Do you remember? I do, yeah. Uh, I'd been injured uh, the tail end of the season prior, which was a real source of frustration because I was actually, in my own mind, I felt as if I was doing really well for Sunderland and, and I thought I was going to be there for a lot longer. And then um, I got the I got the call to say that our, uh, the Wolves had put a bid in for us, and and I've often said this I, I wasn't too keen to move back down south. Um, I was very settled. I just had my first daughter uh, in the northeast, uh, and that was in two. Let me get this right. In two thousand one, so she'd only been a couple of years. Uh, uh, my my wife was pregnant with my second one, and I'd bought a I I I bought a lovely house and. Uh, where was it? I bought a beautiful house in, uh, in, in, in Durham City Centre. So I wasn't keen on leaving the Premiership to come to the Championship. Um, but once it became evident that Sunderland were willing to sell us, I thought, listen, let's just go and have a chat with Dave. Um, and and, and I've always, it's, it's well documented that uh, I was always back and forth to Glasgow to watch Rangers. So the thought of going to the Midlands and traipsing up to watch... Um, what Rangers didn't really appeal to me but once I got to Wolves and um, it wasn't a great start for me it was a great start for the club because the club were brilliant at that time they were flying I think they'd been 12 or 13 games undefeated and I was sat on my, my arse on the bench 
And I'm thinking to myself, what what am I doing here, man? Do you know what I mean? I could easily have been fighting for a place in the in the Premiership as opposed to but once I get in and once I started establishing myself, I knew it was the right move because um I think it's fair to say the supporters kinda of took to me quite quickly as well. I think I scored in my one of my first early games. I think we were away to I'm gonna say Rotherham or something. So I come off the bench and I think I chipped the keeper. And then from that point on I really hit the ground running. I really enjoyed my period. At Wolf. So it was a, it was a nice trans transition, even though it didn't it didn't get after the start that I wanted. Although the team were doing great, I vaguely remember some sort of left footed shot away at Rotherham. I think it was more of a scuff than a chip, if I remember correctly. But we'll move on quickly from that. A goal's a goal, isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I, I, listen, by the way, shut up. Listen, I'm two minutes on your podcast, and you're taking a swipe at me. Any minute, I'm, I'm, cut, I'm cutting this. I'm cutting this off. It doesn't matter if you're five feet three. I'll get big butts on the phone to come and leather you. <laughs> Won't happen again, Alexander. Um, we had um, we had we had we had former Wolves midfielder um, Neil Emblem on a few weeks, and he he mentioned sort of how his time came to an end at Wolves because Wolves had got sort of um, a bit more ambitious against Jack Hayward was um, spending a lot of money, brought the likes of yourself in um, Colin Cameron, Paul Ince, these types of midfielders. So his time at Wolves came to an end. The first season. Um, you were fans player of the season in 2001, 2002, I believe. What, what's your sort of yeah. memories of that season? We, as you say, we started off really well. We, we, we gave it away in the end. One of my memories was the goal that you scored at home to Millwall, one of your former clubs, which was quite a tasty night, if I remember. I think there was a stabbing before the game, if I remember correctly. What do you remember of oh. that? Oh. I've actually got good memories of that that uh, event because I uh, invited three or four Millwall boys who I used to jump about with up to the game, and uh, I met them beforehand because they ended up staying in the same hotel as me and Dudley, and and they they were quite lively. These boys they weren't there for the faint-hearted. It was just guys I used to knock about with when I was down in my early days. At, um, and anyway, we went to the game and. It's funny that, because I'm often thinking about that actual, and I'd just broken into the team, really. Um, I'm not exactly sure when that game was, but I, I had long broken into the team. And I think it was like a 91st, 92nd minute winner. Um, was it was it the end of the season? I can't remember. But anyway, I, no, I think I it was probably about October time, maybe. Yeah, well, I think I broke into the team maybe mid, mid to late September, early October. So I, I was really just breaking into the team. <laughs> And I'd, and I'd done a glancing header. And uh, I always, I think with most people that watch me playing, whenever I scored a goal, I used to show a lot of emotion. I wasn't one of these guys who stand with a finger up in the air. Going, I, I always carried away. Sorry, but <laughs> it was my missus's phone through there. Um, you there, geezer? I Sorry, um... Every time someone's calling me, it's going off the line. But anyway, I remember I remember scoring the header and running away with the mad emotion. And I remember looking at the bottom of that 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 stand opposite the the dugouts, and it was full of Millwall fans, and they were giving me dogs abuse. And I thought, what the fuck am I doing celebrating against my team? But it was just a, a reactive uh, emotion. And um, and I remember uh, going for a drink with them afterwards. I took them to a nightclub in Wolverhampton, and. Um, Oof, the atmosphere 
I, I, I stayed for one drink and I thought I need to get out of here. It wasn't, it wasn't advisable. So uh, as I said, I stayed for one drink and then I think we all headed back to Dudley uh, where, where I sat and had a couple of more uh, drinks with these guys. And uh, it was great. We um, we just reminisced about the old days and things. But I, I think it was important because, we, we were, as you said, we were. A, it was just a very good start to the, to the campaign and you just wanted to keep it going. But... I, I, I paid the price because when I went back down to Millwall later on that year, they, they gave me a wee bit of grief. Uh, and if I had my time again, I wouldn't have celebrated it. It was just a, an instinctive thing because of the time and, and speed so late in the game. Is there anything more frustrating nowadays when players don't even celebrate when they score against the four? Of course, you mate. How's happened there? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? He's up. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? I've lost sound, mate. Yeah, hold on. Oh, you're back now. Sorry, mate. I lost you there. No problem. I can hear you now. I'll just uh, quickly jump back in. Um, it was quite a tasty fixture that um, the Millwall Wolves fixtures that season. Obviously, both teams got into the playoffs and both um, lost out, if you remember correct, correctly. Um, Wolves had sort of a really good season, but obviously fell apart rapidly towards the end of the season, obviously losing the promotion to West Brom. What's your, your memories of that? How did, how did that occur? Was it just a bad run of form or what's your memories? I think I think if my memory serves me right, it was um, we we get three wins in our last twelve games, and we just ran out of steam. Um, I, I've often been on record as saying there was a lot of kind of big personalities in that dressing room, and uh, and and I, as I said, I think I think we were uh, we were in a very good position, and with with the experience we had that year. To blow up in the manner that we did, we, we literally threw it away. And um, uh, the West Brom, that, that I know it's obviously building up to that game. Uh, it broke my heart because I remember I remember one of the games that we played against them, and um, I, 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 there was a really bad tackle in it. And the, and the guy who done the tackle, he, he, he smashed me, and he went on and scored the goal. He was a foreigner, uh, but I can't remember his name for the life of me. Uh, I remember his name, but I don't want to talk about him. No, no, well, that's fair enough. We'll just call him some fucking tadger. I'm happy to say that, but the referee <laughs> shattered that. Just lay into him. The referee, I think his name was Joe Dow. No, but the, the referee shattered that day. He taught me. He taught me. And um, if my memory serves me right as well, I remember my old pal, Derek, uh, Derek McInnes. He, he, he went in for a tackle as well. And... Um, and I, I had the issue with players trying to put the boot in. I, I genuinely, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't face me in the slightest. And I had stud marks for my my medial ligament, all the all the way right right down to my ankle. And I remember the referee come over and says, uh, "Do you need assistance?" And I, I remember saying to him, "I don't need assistance. All I need you is to do your fucking job." Uh, so I've took my sock down and showed him the stud marks. I says, "You've just missed a guy topping me." Uh, which is a career-ending tackle. I says, which is not an issue. My issue is that you fucking missed the incident. And then I remember looking at Derek McInnes and going, oh, aye, 
<laughs> is that the way you want to play it? Because it wasn't the, the tackle didn't bother me in the slightest because I'd be quite happy putting the boot into them in a derby match. So, um, but he topped us. Uh, that that the the boy that scored the goal, and unfortunately, we, you know, uh, uh, they were the things that used to upset me when a referee couldn't get a simple uh, decision right. What's your sort of memories of of the atmosphere of those games? I think like what you sort of yeah. touched on earlier. I think the, the Wolves fans sort of talked to you because you are a, an, an honest player, if you will, uh, hard working. Just give your all. Um, you talk about sort of. The, the sort of Portuguese contingent that Wolves have got nowadays, and they're not sort of aware of the rivalry between Wolves and West Brom. I think they seem to think it's more Wolves and Villa recently because of the competition that we've had. What, what's yeah. your memories of the Wolves Albion atmosphere compared to? I'm not going to say it's bigger than Rangers, Celtic, um, Millwall, West Ham, or whatever. What, what's your yeah. memories of Wolves West Brom? I was I was I was tremendous. And, and what what I've come to realise about derbies is. Everybody goes, oh, aye, it's the atmosphere now. Well, and what I've, as I said, I think one of my early games that I played uh, was against uh, West Brom. And it was at the, uh, uh, the Hawthorns. I think um, uh, we were 1-0 up. And then I think they scored a free kick to make it one each. And the atmosphere that night was absolutely tremendous. And I loved it. And, and see anybody that says that they don't enjoy playing derby games, they're talking shite. Because, as I said, yeah, I played with Millwall, West Ham, and then I even when, even my earlier days when I, my, my first ever professional game was uh, Falkirk versus Dunfermline. There probably only about six thousand there, but I still remember the rivalry because it's a derby game, um, and it yeah. was a, it was a boring no no game, um, but I remember the atmosphere and there's something magical about them. So I, I do remember it, and I, and I think. Uh, the only sad thing is, mate, see the, see the fact that there's no uh, supporters, there's no punters at the game at the moment. It's brutal. And it must be really difficult for players to actually play with the same intensity because your fan base, whether it will be away from home where you only have a limited, maybe 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 fans, as opposed to being back at Molyneux. And when you know that you've got the backing of that kind of faithful, it's it doesn't half help. And then, obviously, you mentioned uh, old firm games. They, they, they are, they're just they're unique um, because of. But you're not telling me that the West Brom and the Wolves fans uh, don't dislike them as much as Rangers and Celtic fans. Cause I don't buy it, I, I, and there's something brilliant. I still love uh, derby games, and you know, you, as you said, uh, if they, if when fans get back into the ground. They will know the rivalry and the hostility because of the noise. It just goes up that extra little bit. Uh, so ho- hopefully we'll be able to get all the punters back into the stadium next year. And as I said, Molyneux can be a right hostile place at times. Molyneux can be very hostile, um, working for or against walls that we've we've, we've seen over the years. Um, going back to the season that we got promoted, we we ended the season with momentum, whereas we ended it. Without momentum the season before, which which cost us. What what's your memories of the promotion season? Oh, we had a decent cup run. Um, obviously your goal in the semi final of the playoffs will always uh, live in memory of a lot of Wolves fans. I yeah. imagine. Oh, like, I, that that was a disappointing season for myself. Um, yeah, that was a disappointing season for me because I I think it was me and NC more or less played a lot of the the games up until January. Dave started integrating uh, recalling Cameron a little bit more, uh, and I and I pretty much paid the price. 
I've no issue with, with Dave making that decision the slightest because it paid off for the greater good. Uh, and having managed several times myself, I know I actually got on really well with Dave. We used to play golf up at Pattingham, Rienzi and uh, Terry Connor and that. So it was terrific. The um, the Reading goal, um, and and that you know you talk about difficult games and trying to get over the line and momentum and things, uh, and I remember coming on against Reading that night and we were really up against it. You know that that made some real good players uh, in their team, uh, plenty of legs, plenty of energy, and people often talk about the the, the celebration that fucking mad dance I done in that pirouette in midair. But it all stemmed. It was that maniac Paul Lins, and before the game, we used to we used to set up some cones on the eighteen yard box from the the shy line, and me and Paul Lins used to take the warm up uh, all the time, whether I was playing or not. So the two of us used to take it, and you'd run in towards the pitch, spin back out, go back to the shy line, do various movements, and there was a there was a, a supporter. No, there was I don't know. There must have been about thirty people in the stadium when we were doing the warm up. There was no one there. And this geezer come running down to Paul Inns. And he came running down to the NC and went, Oi, NC, you wanker. And uh, I started laughing, by the way. I went, oh, there's NC's number one fan. Oh, you would do, wouldn't you? And any, any of your mates that's called a wanky, oh, I'm laughing at him. Oh, it was brilliant, honestly. And, and I remember NC, NC was raging. And NC's going, fuck off, son. Oh, Bonnie, sell you your mug. And all that. So it was brilliant. And... Um, and then um, we started doing a little bit of stretching. And I looked at Incy and I went, that geezer's killing you, Incy. So I was trying to wind Incy up. And he's going, I'll be fucking right, that little mug. I'll go over there and slap him. Right? So I was pissing myself. And uh, and he went, if any of us score a goal, make sure we go up and give him fucking dog's abuse. And I, I, I thought to myself, right, okay. And then obviously when I scored the goal, the penny dropped. And you can see me pointing towards this geezer who had he took his seat. It was just maybe about eight or ten seats left of their dugout, uh, behind their dugout. And I remember me and Incy grabs me around the neck and he's pointing to the geezer. And, and, and I remember seeing the geezer, he's sitting there with his head in his hands and, and it was box office. Incy uh, was giving him dog's abuse. So, uh, and thankfully it got us to the final as well. Just talking about... Um... Your, your relationship with Dave Jones. I know you said you talked about being a manager, and you, obviously you can you can only start eleven players. Wolves Wolves are winning three 0 in that playoff final, and not, not not trying to be disparaging to to Adam Proudlock. Did you think that should have been you coming on instead of Adam Proudlock? Oh, listen, listen. As I said, uh, see the one thing. As I said, as I see footballers, they're selfish fuckers. I know that from my own experience, and. Then you get to a certain age and you start realising it's about the bigger picture. Now, I ain't going to sit here on this podcast and say, oh, I wasn't disappointed that you don't go on at a playoff final, because I was. And then everybody's going back to the the after party and you've got wee Beverly Knight up singing and it was a brilliant night. Um, and people often say to me, you know, you're walking around because you, I, I don't know many games I'd played in that, that particular season. Um I think, you know, I played a considerable bit, all being there was lots of them that were, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, let me get it. I think that season I was involved in maybe 30, 30 games or something. So, you know, you're playing two thirds of the game uh, and a couple of sub appearances. I think there was eight sub appearances. I've just looked at the stats now. And 
So it didn't really bother me that that was there. But I did think my time at Wolves would have been up that summer because if I if I wasn't playing, if I wasn't playing in the championship, what chance you know would I had? You know because obviously Colin, I knew that Colin and 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 Dinsey would most certainly have started the following season. You don't know who's going to um, come in. Um, but so you can back to that playoff final. And I ain't saying this for any kudos in any shape or form. Do you know what the best sight of that whole um, uh, afternoon was? See, see seeing Sir Jack Hayward and what it meant to him. Because that's a geezer who spent tens of millions of pounds trying to get them back in after the best part of 20 years. <clears throat> seeing the punters, because it is about the fans, you know, chairmen's come and go, players come and go. And then you get guys that are there for a lifetime, three and four generations, you know, following in their grandparents' father's footsteps and so forth. So seeing the fans after 20 years going back to the top table, and I often say that I felt as if that particular day was the foundation of what you're actually seeing now. Because if someone had to break the mould after 20 years, 19, 20 years, and it so happens it was that group of players, and it allowed... Uh, it allowed them to sample it, change the infrastructure at the club in terms of uh, regenerating the stadium and, and, and so forth. And then it's obviously to where it is now. So it didn't really bother me that Proudy was... At the time, it probably bothered me, but looking back, and I can see, you know, it was a decision. Uh, and if it was me, I would probably... If I'd have been the manager of that team the day, 3 nil up, uh, we had, whatever how many subs we had left, it was only Proud Lock come on. I think wasn't it that day? So I think I think, think Proud Lock was the third sub. I'm sure like Dean Sturridge came on. All oh, right, well, um, no, I so think there might have been another one. If listen, if it was more subs, then then so be it. Uh, I, I don't I don't really have an issue. In all honesty, it was at the time I would imagine I'd have been disappointed um, because you want to be part of it and having, as you said, you know. Played a lot of the the previous two seasons, but okay, it was new. But that wasn't a big issue. I was more concerned about the following year whether I was going to be there. There was a bigger picture for me whether I was going to still be at the club. So yeah, we we make the move up to the Premier League. You're not sure whether you're coming or going, and then you go on to have your um, greatest goal tally in the season in the Premier League that season. That's right. Aye. No, no, it was uh, no, it was an incredible season because. Um, I think I think um, I think when you look at the <clears throat> again, I knew I knew about the start of the season. We uh, we played we played Blackburn. I thought that's a right opportunity to get up and running, and they absolutely battered us. They battered us, and I thought, oh, oh dear, here we go. Yeah, five um, goal then, of the uh, month contenders that was that day. I know, I know, and then and then after that we played against Cheltenham, uh, and you and with the greatest respect to Blackburn and Cheltenham. You're thinking to yourself, oh, these might be a wee opportunity for us to to nick a point here or there just to get up and running. And we conceded nine goals in our first couple of games. And you're thinking to yourself, oh dear, this this could have fucking went any worse. So um, but anyway, as I said, I'd only played a couple, I think I was on the bench in the both of them, and I'm thinking to myself, if I don't start getting game time soon, then you know, I I, I knew that I was going to be limited from then on in. Uh, and it, I think Dave threw us in again against uh, Man United and I think I think if uh, Henri Kamara was still playing now he would be still missed the amount of chances the boy missed that night uh, you know he got a lot of one-on-ones 
we created chances and we lost we lost to a set play. I think it was John O'Shea. But we got a wee bit of heart for that. But you're right, it was um we ended up we ended up uh, uh, I think we started picking up points after that as well, didn't we? We we Pompey and but it was a tough it was a tough tough uh, environment. It was a I think you look back at that season, we didn't spend anywhere near enough money. You know, we got a lot of Bosmans and things and I think you have to be very lucky with Bosmans. I think you have to uh, you have to invest just to, to to kind of progress that a little bit. And I, I don't think I, I don't think they invested enough dosh at that time. Yeah, the the expenditure after so long away wasn't there. You, you referenced not knowing whether you were going to be kept on, what players Wolves were going to bring in in that pre-season. I believe Wolves took Paul Gasolgoin on trial. Do you remember any of his time at Wolves? Oh, I, I, I actually think I played the game up at Telford with him, or I went to see him. I knew, I knew Paul for back in the day. I had, um, I had a night out with him when I was, uh, um, yeah, I had a night out with him. Um, what an experience! What an experience! I was at a Rangers Player of the Year dance with Gaza. And he had a beautiful Versace, uh, Versace suit on. He was looking at a fucking million dollars. And he had a big woolen, brown woolen glove so that it wouldn't uh, keep his Newcastle brown. Uh, he didn't want it. He, didn't, he wanted it cool. And I'm thinking to myself, the speed you're fucking drinking the Newcastle brown, you maniac. It's never going to, it doesn't matter if you take the glove on or off. You're never going to, he was going through them as if there was no tomorrow. So I knew guys off the back then. And, uh, so, uh, listen, uh, it was, unfortunately, his legs had gone at that stage. Um, but just a great guy to have about the place. He, 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 I can't speak highly enough about him. I've got all his tops downstairs. I've got Middlesbrough tops. I've got Everton tops. And, um, no, he's just, he's uh, uh, as I said, he's a very generous and kind individual, Gaza. And um, it was sad to see him coming to the end. But it's like, well, it's like his all, man. Do you know what I mean? It all comes to us at some point or another. Um, and it's good to see him doing well. He's in the jungle now in Italy. I'm a celebrity, so he's he's doing all right. I'm pleased he's in a good place. Yeah, he must be getting a good coin for doing that. I would have thought the British um, version of um, I'm a celebrity would have thrown bucket loads him. So I'm not I'm not sure how, how much the Italy, Italian ones are paying him. Um, going back to that that season, we, we mentioned off camera your um, two fixtures against the Invincibles, Arsenal. Absolutely exceptional team. Um, what, what do you remember about yeah. those games? It was, it was a sort of... We talked about um, your time at Sunderland when Eric Cantona scored that chip and you could have had him down on the half island if you had a bit more legs. Who's the sort of hardest player that you've played against? Because for me, watching that Invincibles team, Dennis Burkamp was unreal yeah. for me. No, listen, they, they had a host of sensational players. I never forget, uh, we, we were stood in the tunnel at Molyneux. I, th- I think they, were, they beat us 3-1 that day. And uh, I remember standing in the tunnel. And it's me, Inzi and Colin Cameron. <clears throat> and they had, oh, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I think Patrick Vera was there, Gilberto, I think Edu was there. And they were all six feet. And I'm looking at them, it was like fucking, I, I remember thinking to myself, look at these guys. It reminded me of the Billy uh, Conley sketch. The wee Scottish guys that are all around the bullet like Tasmanian devils. 
you know, they colour, they're chalk white, and you've got all these guys with their hair all slicked back. And that's what it reminded me. I'm thinking to myself, right, let's get fucked into this mob. But um, the, the, the best player that I played against, because I tend to talk about, uh, you know, you mentioned Cantara, you mentioned Bergkamp there, and they, and they were magnificent. And, and, and the premiership at that particular time was, it was just, it was frightening. You know, you guys lose all and, you know, as I said, JJ, I caught just kind of real top, top players. But the one that I always found very difficult and enjoyed playing against was Patrick Vieira. I always thought technically he was sensational. I mean, there was times that the ball would be about four or five feet up in the air and you've got to put your head in and then he would just dink it over your head. He had so much grace. And he could also mix it as well, uh, and uh, which I liked as well. I always, I always had a lot of respect for players who could put their foot in as well as that technical ability. So <clears throat> I loved, I loved playing against these guys, and and I miss, I, I genuinely miss competing at that level uh, because if you spend all your days trying to uh, uh, to get to the top of the, uh, the football pyramid. And then you mentioned like Cantoners of the world and uh, Vieiras and Bergkamps and, you know, Zolas, Mark Hughes, Beckhams, Giggs, Scholes, you know. Um, and that and that's exactly why you, 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 you put all the effort into playing at that particular level. And um, But they were they were a brilliant team. They had so much pace and power uh, through. And, and, and you mentioned Terry Henry. Terry Henry must get down as one of the best Hall of Famers his goal to game ratio is a very big, powerful guy as well. Technically brilliant, and um, yeah, it was always difficult playing against Arsenal. Uh, they ha- they had a philosophy and they had a brilliant manager un- under Wenger. So uh, it was a privilege to play against these guys. Were you surprised that um, Arsenal let Wolves take Oleg Luzhny that season? Hi, <laughs> the horse. He was he was a great lad. Yeah, nothing nothing phased him. Uh, and uh, no, no. Listen, he was. Um, I don't think he played that day, did he? No, I don't no, he, think he played he, much in the Premier League at all, Alex. To be honest. No, Dennis. I think Shaker played at left back. Lee Naylor played at left back. Dennis played at right back. Uh, Butler and uh, Jody Craddock that day. Um, and it's funny. I'll, I'll let you into a little bit of insight. Uh, uh, as I said, because I remember that game well, and uh, we were one 0 down early doors to Dennis Bergkamp nine minutes. And and then I think it was Kenny uh, G- Vio Ganea. Yeah, Oh, the mad! Uh, he was off his head. He was insane. He always spoke a couple of words of English, and he used to go, "Hey, boy, give me the ball, hey, boy." That's uh, so used to say to me all the time, and I used to, I used to always laugh at him. And uh, but Kenny Miller had a chance just before half time. I'm sure he did. And we all went in at half time, going, "Yes," and. After after that game when we lost three one, our uh, psychologist little Tim O'Brien became pals with Arsene Wenger, and I, I think he joined the following summer. Tim joined the Arsenal backroom team, and his early conversation was just before he got offered the job was, "Can you tell me what your 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 halftime team talk was?" And that's what he said to ask. He asked Arsene Wenger. And Wenger said very calmly in Wenger kind of uh, way, he says, Tim, after five minutes, no one speaks and I speak and then I give them direction for the second half. He said, Wolves 
the Wolves players have their foot to the floor. They are running at maximum capacity and they cannot keep up that work, that workload. And at some point, somebody will switch off because they will physically tire. And because of the quality that we have, we will pick them off. And if you remember rightly, the ball down the side uh, to Terry Henry, and I think he, he dinked uh, Paul Jones. Uh, and then I think they scored within, but I don't know what it was, five or six minutes after that. <coughs> and we couldn't get back in the game. Uh, we did hardly get a touch for the last 25 minutes. So Arsenal had a philosophy uh, that they would always pass teams later on in the games. And it, 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 it turned out to be the case so many times because of the level of player that they had. Really special team, the, the Invincibles. Yeah. What was the, the the biggest sort of floor in that season for Wolves? Obviously, we lost uh, Matt Murray and Jolly and Lescott earlier into the season. Um, yeah. If Carl Court would have been there from the start of the season, do you think we would, would have had much more of a chance? I, I, I think that, that, that you, you made some valid points here. When you lose Matt Murray, I often say that Big Matt was an unbelievable goalkeeper. Honestly, he was such a presence. And to lose him and Lescott, Lescott was top draw. <clears throat> and I remember at the time, I remember thinking to myself, uh, the physicality that he had. He had a really nice cultured left foot as well. And to lose the two guys. And, and the problem you have, the problem you have is when you get promoted, it's always at the top end of the pitch. You need someone who's going to bail you out and like a match winner goals. And we just didn't really have that. You know, we had plenty of strikers in and about the place, but we just didn't. I don't know if we created enough for them at times or when that half opportunity arose. We just didn't have enough to, to, to see us over the line. Um, and unfortunately, unfortunately, we, we just fell short. And I think it, it probably boils down to quality. Uh, and, and as I said, he, Matt Murray and uh, Les Scott would have most certainly have helped because uh, the two of them were so imposing. Um, and one, I think one of the standout games of that season would most certainly have been the Portsmouth game for me. Uh, that was That was beyond belief. I remember I, I, I remember being shell-shocked, uh, been three goals down at half-time, getting absolutely ba battered by the punters. I mean, battered. And then coming back out uh, in the second half, the stadium was half-empty, I'm thinking. <laughs> They're all away for a pint. Um, but but the transformation and, the, I suppose, some, some good character for the boys that day to come back and win was, was remarkable. You were talking about Leicester then, weren't you? Portsmouth. You, you confused oh, me for a second. Ed. No, I did, uh, sorry, it was. Yeah, it was Leicester. Cause, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, it was, it was, did Canu play for Leicester that day, did he? Was Canu playing that day? No, it was a um, big Les Ferdinand, wasn't it? Who bullied us that yeah, day? Fer yeah, Ferdinand scored a couple of bullet heaters. That's right. So it was, it was Pompey. And Sheringham played that day, didn't he? Yeah. Sheringham that day. Um, I'm sure he was. I fucking, I'm losing the plot here, man. I, but I remember, I remember Ferdinand scored a couple of bullet headers. Uh, yeah. Did you know? Did you know? Have um, who was the wee guy in the middle of the park? It was. Um, uh, was it? Is it? No, was he? Is it not? Was it they guys? Um, yeah, maybe uh, Ricardo uh, Schimmer scored the other one for them, I think. And and then I'm sure we Dickoff played that as well because me and Dickoff were fighting at the 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 the, the, the fixture back at 
uh, Leicester earlier on in the campaign. That's right, that's right. It was, it was, it was Leicester. They were three 0 up, and he scored a couple of bullet headers. I remember it because it was fair about fifteen yards. Les scored. That's right. So you you got you scored another header that day. Um, Colin Cameron got two, and like you said, Emery Kamara finally at the net that day with his orange boots and um, Senegal wristband. It was a memorable game that one. It was. Uh, it was a. It was a brilliant game. And do you know the thing is, I often said about. Um, do you remember? players who used to take their top off and, and, and you know, run about with their top. I used to go, look at the fucking, look at the state of these idiots. And if I could see myself now, I'd have punched myself right in the, the snozzle. Um, it's just come I, back I, to me that you're waving that shirt around now, yeah. I, 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 remember, I remember running about, man, with my ribs poking out my, my side of my, uh, my stomach. I'm thinking, I said, what am I fucking playing at? But uh, I have to say... Without Glasgow Chan. <laughs> I know, I know. It was. Uh, I, I think I actually had a, I had a golf tan because I was playing golf with NC all the time. But um, no, it was a, it was a, it was a terrific uh, comeback. It really was remarkable. So, what's your sort of overriding memories at Wolves? What sort of stands out as the, the highs and lows? You, how did the, the end come at Wolves? You. Obviously, Pauline stayed on for another yeah. couple of seasons. I think. Did you not get the opportunity yourself? Oh, oh listen. Uh, I, I've said it a couple of times. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how often I've actually said it mainstream. Really, in January we played. Uh, we drew two two with. Uh, it might have been the end of December, early January. I think it was second or third of January. We drew two two with um, Blackburn. I think Colin yeah. York scored for them. I scored, and I'm not exactly sure who, who the other one was. I think Big and, Bolt scored um, the other. Was it Big fucking Bolt Heed? I, um, yeah. He, Big Butts, he... Um, so there, there was uh, there was rumours. Uh, well, there wasn't rumours. I, I got wind that Blackburn wanted to sign us at that particular time. And I, I only had about five months left, six months left in my, in my contract. And... <clears throat> I, I made Dave Jones know because they weren't the forthcoming. They weren't the telling me that that, they, that there'd been an offer put in for us. And all I said to Dave was, "I says, Dave, see if you just give me one more year." And and when I went into the Premiership, I was still on the same money as uh, as the Championship, so I never got a nut lift. So it wasn't as if I was actually trying to be greedy or there was a a, a mad negotiation have it take place. The same principle had that would have applied as as uh, being in the championship. So um, he he said to me, "Listen, well, give me a couple of days. And I'll, I'll have a word with Jez." And then a couple of days went past, and I said, "What's happening?" And he said, "He, he says I'll have a word with uh, uh, go go and have a word with Jez." So I went and had a word with Jez, and he says, "I can't do nothing with, with Dave." So before I know it, there's ten days, fourteen days down the line, I'm getting past the pillar to post, and I says, "This yeah. is fucking ridiculous." Um, I, I'm a, I'm a one of the guys that are committed to the cause. I fire into tackles. I, I go about my business. I'm not a headache in any shape or form. And I just felt as if I was getting pissed about a little bit. And and I think if my memory serves me right, we uh, we played uh, we played who was it Portsmouth on the 31st of January down there, and uh, we, we flew down to Southampton. Got the bus for Southampton to across to the hotel. And I said to Dave Jones, I says, Dave, 
I says, he's a fucked me about for the film one, man. Come on, this is ridiculous. Uh, and, and he went, aye. And, and so literally, as soon as January was finished, I was I was none the wiser. They were only forthcoming with a contract. And uh, effectively, if I get injured, I didn't know where I was going to stand. I was getting 33, 34. So um, I just thought, felt as if I was getting the piss took out us at that particular time. And I said to Dave Jones, I'm not playing. I says, I'm not playing tomorrow. He went, what do you mean you're not playing? He says, he entered. I says, no. I says, I'm not playing. You and fucking Jez have been messing me, messing me about for the whole of January. And I says, I don't deserve that. At least you could have done, says, we're not giving you the contract. Uh, and and the, the word in the street was, from Dave, was that we couldn't sell you because uh, we need you for the runner and you're our top goal scorer, which is fair enough. And, and that was factually true. So, so um, so anyway, I told him, "Fuck him! I'm not, I'm not playing the next day." And as I said, I was good pals with uh, Tim O'Brien and Matt Perry, who's still Doctor Perry. So it's about half past eight or nine o'clock. Tim O'Brien come up and chat to Dawn and says, "I hear you're not playing tomorrow." And I says, "Tim, I love you to death, wee man, but I don't want to say anything." Because I, I, I'd, I'd lost the head. My head was fucking up my ass at that, that particular time. And I said, I said to Tim, I said, listen to me, man. Thanks for trying to change my, my mind. I'm not, I'm not playing. And then the next morning, I get down early, early for breakfast. And uh, I'm, I'm packing my bags because I'm, I'm getting a, a flight. A, a flight? Or I'm getting a, 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 I'm waiting 50 minutes to get a taxi to take me back up to the Midlands. I booked a taxi to take me back to the Midlands. And... Uh, and then Dr. Perry came to the door and I said, and I, and I had so much respect for the two guys. So I loved the two of them. I used to sit and have chats for ages with the two of them. They were great guys. And uh, I said to him, I says, Matt, I don't want to say anything, mate. I, I, I'm not in the, the right mindset. I appreciate you trying to talk me around and play this afternoon. But I, I'm not fucking playing, man. I, I deserve better than this. Anyway, um, I sat in the reception waiting 50 minutes for this taxi and Dave Jones came in and uh, he said to me, listen, you don't want to go this, you know, this kind of uh, letting people down and things. I see he's fucking talking about letting people down. I feel as if I've already been let down by you, and you're telling me I can't let people down. It's a bit rich. So anyway, I played that that afternoon, and we, uh, I think we drew nil nil with Pompey, uh, and that was that you're right. That, uh, so we, we, we sort of turned fixture, and um, uh, and and then I think within the space of about five or six weeks. Uh, I got wind that Rangers were interested and uh, I was free to talk to anyone at that particular time. And uh, I went and done a medical in my day off and I told Dave Jones that I I wanted to be respectful to him. I didn't want that to come from anywhere else. Um, And from that point on, I pretty much sat in Mars. So as much as he needed me in January, as soon as I told a pre I'd signed a pre-contract. I just thought it, was, it wasn't the way to go forward. Uh, having I, I more or less sat on the bench from then on in. So even though he's telling me in the January that I was, it, it contradicted what he was actually saying, and I, it's not the way I would like to have left Wolves in the end up. But listen, I, I was I was relatively happy because I secured a two-year contract, and I was only looking for a year at Wolves, but. I never got the opportunity to sign uh, a contract because they were never forthcoming with that. 
I mean, obviously, but once Ryan just come in, I'm sure you would have signed the contract for two years on for free, wouldn't you? No, don't be fucking daft. You have your head. <laughs> I'm Scottish. <laughs> no, but uh, listen, see, see the thing is, there was a real big concern for me as well at that time because, as I said, my daughter was born literally a couple of months before I got to Wolves in the May, uh, tomorrow, May the 1st, tomorrow. She, that was 20 years ago she was born. Um, and she, she, um, she was... Um, She's starting to get a black country twang because she was she was going in a, she, she was in a, the road that leads along to Techno. I don't know what that is. That Techno Road there, and yeah, uh, she was she used to go to a little kindergarten there, and uh, she was starting to sound a wee bit like you're right. So I thought no. So see the, the opportunity yeah. to get her back to get her back up and get a proper bit of dialect, a proper bit of Glaswegian, uh, and and she used to walk about. And the first she was so that so she when I when I first came to Wall she would have been a couple of months old so within a couple of years she used, she used to always wear a pink wellies a nappy and a little bandana on her head and she used to walk about the uh, the living room and she'd be like he's got no hair and we don't care Alex Alex Ray and you know and I hated that song I fucking hated it with a passion and I and as much as I love my daughter I was going to beat her up. Because I, she, she used to she constantly singing that song about the living room. Um, you just couldn't get away from it. I couldn't, mate. So I was I was thinking I need to get back up to Glasgow to get her speaking about Glaswegian. Yeah, a bit of um, great parenting from you there. As much as I love my accent, <laughs> I wouldn't um, I wouldn't force it on an enemy to be honest. <laughs> uh, listen, Let's quickly great. talk. Was, uh... Go on. Let's, let's quickly talk about, um, obviously, the local derby on Monday. What, what's your thoughts been on Wolves this season? Obviously, losing him and has been, obviously, evident to our, our troubles. Yeah. What have you made of Wolves? I, I think it's, a, it's been an up and... Uh, it's been a difficult season because of uh, Jimenez getting injured. And um, I think, obviously, losing Jota as well. I, th I think the recruitment's been tremendous. See, see the recruitment at... Uh, at Wolves over the course of the last few years, it's been tremendous, uh, and unfortunately, I think the fact that Jimenez, you you may be able to help me here. See when Jimenez got injured, where where they uh, in the top four? Wolves were in the top four, weren't they? So, the moment Jimenez got injured, we were yeah. seventh. We went on to win the game, right, okay. so we went, we were in sixth. Right. Okay. So it was quite consistent for the two previous years, wasn't it? So, I think yeah. I think by yeah I think by actually losing Jimenez, losing Jota as well, um, I think that was a bit of a blow. Um, and I, I don't think they've managed to recover. <clears throat> I think players have taken time to settle in as well. You know, I think the left back berth has been a wee bit of an issue. Uh, I think there's been one or two players coming in there, and then obviously Semedo. Uh, coming in, it's taking time as well. I, I, I genuinely believe they're still a, a very good player in Semedo, uh, and that allows them to go back to the back uh, five, back three, two wing backs. Uh, and, and I think in the summer as well, I, I love Matinho, I love Neves, then Donkers get plenty of power and energy, a totally different animal. Uh, and I just think, I think that will be a priority in the summer as well for uh, Nuno. I think they'll look to bring another playmaker in. Um, uh, to complement uh, the middle of that park. Um, 
I think when you look at the contribution that Triuri has done over over well, particularly last year, he was a lot more um uh, you know, on the front foot, a lot more assisted, a great understanding, a lot of assists for him and his. And I think he suffered for that, him being away as well. So I think once they got all the players up to speed, once they've got the big signings uh, uh, up to speed as well, and and I'll be interested to see how the boy uh, William that does as well, you know, uh, and and the young lad they paid the thirty five million for. I think once they get him up to, because that that's that's a big ask. He's got such a big price tag on on his head as well. Um, so I, I think I think there's so much quality through the squad. Um, I think it's really just trying to get a settled squad through the season with uh, less injuries uh, and I think they'll be pushing for that top six again next season I really do I think it's, it's pretty evident losing him and Ezra similar to, to Tottenham last year losing Kane for as long as they did that the Tottenham just scraped Europe when Kane came back late and I think we just haven't recovered with um, losing him and Ezra. I just want to quickly just jump back into um, the point on recruitment going back to that Premier League season where we got relegated Um yeah. Midway through the season, Dave Jones signs, you mentioned him, Paul Jones, after Michael Oakes probably had the game of his life against Man United, if you, you remember. Yeah. Can, do, is this managers bringing in players from or former clubs that they've worked from? Is it reckless just to tr- blind faith trust players that you've known from the past when you've got decent players already at your disposal? I've got. To, I'm just trying to think why why he brought Jonas Jones in. I can't. I can't even remember. Um, um, I'm just trying to think why he did. I can't. I can't even remember how well Oxy was playing or not. You've thrown me there. I'm trying to think. Uh, so was that against Man United that season? Uh, yeah, Man United one 0 Kenny Miller. I think Michael Oakes no, was man of the match that day, and then he, and then we then Paul Jones comes in for Michael Oakes the next game for that Portsmouth game that you mentioned. Right, I'm just trying to think. By the way, aye, that's right. So, aye, I, oh, so that was at the beginning of the season, wasn't it? No, I was thinking it was like January time, was it? No, because you played oh, Man United away early in the season. Sorry, that's right. No, 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 that's right. So it was the away game. So that would have been in January. Yeah, I think so. Right. Yeah, it was. Kenny Man United were unbeaten in the league up until that point, if you remember. Yeah, I remember it, Kenny, with the ball through, uh, and then obviously after that we played. Uh, we played, we played Liverpool. Oaks, he played that as well, didn't he? He did. I'm at it yeah, he did. He's played. I'm looking at it now. Oaks, he played. Uh, uh, so we, we beat Man United the 17th of January. Beat uh, Liverpool. We drew with Liverpool one 0 on the 21st, and then we, we then we went away uh, to West Ham. And, so, and, and sorry, we're at home to West Ham and beat them three one. So he played. He played a few games after that. And then, oh, and then Paul, Jones, Paul, Paul Jones came in. Uh, he oh, came so he in would have come the, in the January window, did he? He must have come in the January window, but you're right, because Oxy played in the Man United, Liverpool and West Ham uh, games. But then, but he must have just fancied him to, to come in. But in my mind, I can't remember whether Oxy was playing great or um, or not. I have to be honest with you. And then John, Big Jonesy came in, I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm trying to write my brains, mate. I've been making things up if I say he's off. Oxy was poor. I can't, I can't remember. 
So what's your um, thoughts going into the game on Monday? Obviously, Wolves away to West Brom. Wolves are pretty much safe. Uh, have, have you seen us? Have you seen us play recently? Aye, aye. I've watched his. I've watched his playing. Uh, I've watched his playing recently, and uh, it's, it's a mixed bag. In it, some games you think, right, okay. I watched. I watched the game. I know. I'm not going to be negative here. Uh, I was watching the the game recently when it was uh, was it four 0 uh, against yeah, Burnley. Burnley, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Um, and again, it's difficult as a manager to actually legislate for the type of mistakes that was made that day. And you're thinking to yourself, you just put that as a bad day at the office. Um, and 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 I suppose if you look at the games prior to that against Fulham, the late winner, and then obviously um, you know uh, Sheffield United as well. So it's a couple of nice wins back to back, but. The one thing I know is, see, getting into this, that this is a this is an opportunity to redeem yourself and uh, and uh, uh, towards the fans. So, see if you're in that dressing room, you're thinking that that's as bad a performance, uh, you know, collectively as I've seen for a while for Wolves. Um, and I think Nuno would have been really disappointed with that. But what an opportunity to effectively put another nail on your big rivals, uh, and that would be the message if I was in that dressing room. If I'm Connor Cody. And I'm and I'm sitting there and I'm going like, right, how do we go about addressing this? Is just to put them to the sword. That that was it, doesn't it? You've obviously got the 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 rivalry. Uh, it's a derby match, but can you imagine coming away from there? Everybody would have forgot about the previous result and begun brilliant. And it and it also it also gives you a, an opportunity um, because I know I know as players, it gives you a chance to then maybe get up towards Leeds again. And that could get you a top half finish. And I think if you said to any Wolves fan, on the back of losing Jimenez and uh, and the season when which it's been, we'll settle for a top ten finish. It'd be a fucking, it'd be a tremendous season. Do you think there was an essence of the players being on the beach in that Burnley game, or obviously there's there's a few players in that Wolves squad who will be playing in the Euros this summer. Do you think maybe their heart wasn't in it? No, no. Listen, and and I, I listen. I listen to people. I was listening to the pundits that day, and it was. Listen, you can't get away from the performance, but see the amount of mistakes that were made. I didn't. It didn't look to me as if it was players that were they trying. But see, when you're making that, and and it, listen, I've been there as well, where you, you've played in a season, uh, mostly at Millwall, and you're in that no man's land, and you're getting towards the end. It's a long, fucking arduous season. And you're thinking, right, come on. I've been there. And it's hard to just keep you know, motivating yourself to try and kick on. Uh, and I know supporters will go, well, you get paid fortunes. But it's just like human nature to yeah. switch off because you're actually at a place where... Uh, but but listen, I, I, look at, I look at Nuno and he looks to have a brilliant dressing room, a great backroom uh, squad as well. And there'll be professional pride. And as I said, Rangers won the league. At a canter this year, it's the earliest in over a hundred years, and you've just seen the performances dip off. And if you go back a couple of weeks ago as well, having won the league uh, weeks before, they turned up with a really impressive performance against Celtic. So the one thing I do know is, is because of the magnitude of what it means to the fans, you can you can chill a performance even though you're getting towards the end, and you know psychologically you may well have switched off a bit. Wolves, um, you mentioned in Rangers there, Wolves played 
Braga last season in the Europa League, and oh, I think Rangers knocked them out of the Europa League this, this season. Am I right? That's right, mate. Yeah. So, what's your opinions on the old firm coming down to England at one point? Is it is it hypocritical for, for football fans to um, slate the European Super League and then ask for Rangers and Celtic to come down here? Well, I'll, I'll give you the difference between the two situations. And people say it's hypocritical. See anybody who says that money is not a driving force for football, they're delusional. Because that's the reason why the English Premier League was set up in the first place. So it's all to do with money. So see when I get all these Sky Sports and all these other pundits shouting, ah, they're greedy, they're greedy. That's the reason why they all get such a good career at it. So I don't really get caught up in that kind of slant. The one thing with the European Super League was that it was done without the rest. And so from that aspect, they were quite willing to shit all over the top of the rest of the 14 clubs. So that didn't quite sit right with me. So then people go, how does it differ from the uh, Rangers and Celtic coming down to the English Premiership? And I'll give you my answer to that very quickly because I know you get time's pressing. The only way that Rangers and Celtic could actually do that would be that if the English clubs and the Scottish clubs backed it first and foremost. And the only way that it would be uh, viable would be that you financially looked after the rest of the Scottish clubs. So you don't go down there and you pick up your £150 million a year and you go to Scottish football, deal with it and we're leaving you behind. Then there's another aspect to that. So see if they played in like a British league. Does that mean that the Scottish Cup and the League Scottish Cup would still continue as well, where there'd still be a Rangers and Celtic presence? Or so there's so many factors to it, but the only way it could work is if Rangers and Celtic helped to finance. And the reason why I say this is the Belgian Pro League and the Dutch Eredivisie are talking about amalgamating, but they're also looking after their other leagues. The 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 the, the Belgian and the Dutch league. TV-wise, got 183 million euros. The proposed joining together would be 400 million and they would filter monies back down to the leagues, but there also would have to be a pyramid system. So if someone says it was a pyramid system for Aberdeen, Hibs, Hearts, to get into a potential league as well, I would be very much behind that or any other club for that matter. So I think it can work, but it would have to take a wee bit of imagination. We talked about it off air, sort of the um, like the nineties football being the golden generation. Um, how much carnage would those away day fixtures be for those clubs if it did happen? You got sort of tens of thousands of Glaswegians coming down to England every week, and vice versa. The police won't allow this, surely. Or not? Well, listen, listen. You say that you, you say that Rangers and Celtic are are vice versa coming up to Scotland. But if if you take some of the clubs that are in the top flight of English football now and the championship and so forth, there's thousands of fans travel back and forth that had a very bad uh, 80s, 90s through football hooliganism and it's been eradicated. So I went to... ...10,000 fans. 10,000 fans went down to Sheffield. It was an unbelievable day. 
And then there was 10,000 fans. My first game for uh, Rangers at Fulham uh, down at Craven Cottage. And it, there was there was not one incident to, to report about. So I think I, I think you can overcome that. I think by placing it right, having the, their own trains back and forth and so forth. I, I, I think football uh, violence is hopefully a thing of the past. Um, and I think if they come down and vice versa coming up here, it would just take, you know, can you imagine 10,000 Rangers fans down in London or something for the day? <laughs> It'd be brilliant, man. Um, I think it was that example when, um, was it Rangers in the UEFA Cup when they had 100,000 in Manchester or however many went down? Yeah. I, I, for, listen, I was at Manchester that day and uh, I'm not trying to pass the buck. There was a lot of people from various English clubs who were in and about that that day. And the whole, it was far too many people within one city and I think there was a lot of alcohol consumed. And I suppose that's something that we'd have to look at, you know, going forward. But I just think, you, you, you're not telling me that when, when, when you got all these English clubs travelling over to hot spots in Holland or Italy, uh, the police managed to contain it quite the thing. So I don't I don't think it'd be as big an issue as some people might uh, make out. Um, and I think I think football's moved on in a lot of ways as well because of the experience. You know, you've got so many families uh, going down to games as well these days. Uh, All-seater stadiums has helped beyond belief. So I think I think the days, I'm hopeful that the days of, uh, are, are well gone because I lived through it. And, and I was looking at it the other day when Millwall played Chelsea. When we knocked him out in the uh, the FA Cup, and you've got a row of police horses uh, on the pitch trying to keep the fan, the Chelsea fans away from the Millwall fans, you know. So I'm hopeful that the days are well and truly, truly beyond, but uh, behind us. Well, I was going to put you on the spot now. Obviously, we're a Wolves podcast. <coughs> Wolves West Brom on Monday. What's your uh, score I, prediction? I'm going to I'm going to go for a two one. Uh, I'm going to go for a two one uh, prediction. Uh, for Wolves uh, and I just think that the quality that Wolves have I'm hoping they're going to shine on and it'll give me something to look forward to Monday night I do the radio feast what, what time's the kick-off on Monday night? Uh, it's six, uh, do we know? 6 o'clock, oh, six o'clock kick-off well I'll have that on in the office so uh, um, so we will predominantly be talking about Rangers and Celtic all firm game on Saturday uh, sorry Sunday and I'll be sitting watching that and do you know the interesting thing about it? Every time we're on there, we've got three big TVs around the studio. And whenever one of my old clubs, and it's a Scottish-based programme, every time, and the people are listening on the radio, and every time one of my Millwall, Wolves, or, or, or Sunderland, uh, one of my smaller clubs at Falkirk when I was there, whenever they actually score, I'll go, yes! And then they go, here we go again, there's fucking Wolves scored, or there's Sunderland scored. And, and I still feel passionate about my clubs, because when you've played... You know, three years at Wolves, five years at uh, Sunderland, six years at, at Millwall. You become part of that club. You know what I mean? You're only a pawn that's actually passed through, but I still have fond memories about all the clubs and I want them to do well. Some proper, proper football clubs that you mentioned there, Millwall, Sunderland, Wolves, proper fan bases, hard-working class fan bases. Right. How would you have fared at a sort of prawn sandwich club looking back on it? Because you it would have fit into a glamorous team. I, I genu- <laughs> what do you mean glamorous? I did. I played with the fucking the world famous Glasgow Rangers. What are you talking about glamorous? No, a pro- I was talking about in England. In England. In England. All ah, right. All right. 
Well, but you're absolutely right. And, and uh, do, you know, do you know the great thing? I don't know how I to answer you, but the fact that I work for working class clubs, Millwall was the Dockers. Then you've got the black country, hard working, you know, uh, as well. And then you've got the North East, who, who, who you look at the North East of uh, England and, yeah, you look at the North East of England uh, as a, really a hotbed of football because of the, the roots, the mines and things. Uh, and I'm pleased I played for them because I think the fans could identify with the way that I played. You know, you like to get wired in, you like to cause a wee bit of trouble now and again and you get the odd goal. So I think when you factor all that, and I, I wouldn't have changed a thing, man. I wouldn't have changed a thing. And even, even though, as I said earlier on, at Blackburn showed an interest, if Wolves had come back to me within two days, I'd have signed for another... Uh, another year or however long they wanted me to sign for, um, but unfortunately it wasn't it wasn't there. But um, I don't I don't look back with any regret at all at any of the clubs. Well, I'm just going to quick just do a quick um, quick fire quiz with you, which I do with all my guests. Who was your best mate while you was at Wolves? Uh, I, 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 I know he's quick fire, Paul Inns. But when we signed Paul Inns, I remember driving to RAF Cosworth. And, and I think it was uh, the Wolf or whatever the radio station was, was on. And the news bulletin came on and went, breaking news, the governor is joining Wolves. It'll be announced today. And I remember thinking, no, please don't tell me. No, that arsehole wins. <laughs> Had you known him before that? Or just like from what you know from TV, oh, playing against him? We, we, we didn't have any kind words to say to each other. At any time we played against each other, if anything, it was just abuse after abuse. And from day one, there's a brilliant picture of me and Paul Ince stood together, and the two Ince's lying these big pearly whites, and uh, he's like uh, laughing his head off. And from that day until now, we're good, very good pals. But it's, it's bizarre because we didn't like each other, and here we here we are, all these whatever it was, fifteen years or whatever, it is, sixteen years later. We're still good pals. Who would? Who was the worst person for you to have been roomed away with back then? Oh, easy. That was that was Kamara. I, I actually, I actually had to make my cup of tea. I used to say I'm two sugars, and if he didn't have two sugars, uh, that was uh, I used to go off my head. But he was, he was brilliant. He, he was, he was um, so hostile. And t you know, he was such a lovely, smiley, happy character. And then fucking, you'd be playing five sides, and he'd want to fight you. And I'd be like, "Can't do Momo." He was, he was, a, he was mad. I loved the boy. He's a great lad. We're talking about Henry Kamara, then, not Mo. <laughs> Momo, no Momo Kamara. Did I say Henry? No, no. I, I thought you were talking about Henry. I, I forgot no, the first season you was at Wars. Mark Kamara was there. He was brilliant. Uh, and do you know the thing about Momo? Uh, and this is to give you a little insight. I was so passionate about Rangers. The, I went to the last day of the season. Me and Momo were sharing the room. And I was walking about the room in my, in my, my underpants, walking back and forth. I kept phoning my dad, what's the score? What's the score? And the game was going back and forth. And and, and Momo, in his, his accent, he goes, Alex, you fucking crazy. Sit down, you crazy. And I'm walking about with my armpit sweating because I want Rangers to win the league. And he, he couldn't grasp the rivalry between Rangers and Celtic. And I never forget, I never forget because he came to play with Celtic a couple of years later. 
And then, obviously, because of, they call it the goldfish bowl and the intensity of playing for Rangers and Celtic, I said, I, 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 I remember, I said to I met him and I said to him, see when you're playing for the old firm, can you remember that day I was walking about and he went, now I know what you meant because of the rivalry, the, the intensity of it all. And um, so so he, he understood after he came and played for, uh, after he came and played for him. But Momo was a great lad. He was just a brilliant, honest, working guy. That's another reason for you to come back to Wolverhampton once the lockdowns are over to visit Malcomara's wine bar in Tetnall. Nice little bar no, if you've never uh, been. No, well the, well, the thing is, I see the, the little, uh, you have Tetnall Park just across the road there. Yeah. I, 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 own that, I own that farmhouse uh, right there. So I know exactly what you're talking about, Momo. But the only problem is you probably charged me double knowing him. He was always Maybe. fucking money mad. If you, if you see some of the clubber that he wears, you'd understand why his prices are so high. <laughs> Listen, mate, you don't need to tell me about Momo's dressing. He gets all the his stuff time, from fucking Africa. The last time that I saw him, he was wearing a bright red jumper and a bowler hat. Aye. No, no, listen, as I said to you, listen, do you know what? I know he was doing a lot of scouting work as well. I, I used to see him at loads of grounds after, because uh, he was scouting for various clubs as well. What a brilliant boy he was. I loved him. He's a great guy with good personality. Worst, worst dress sense you've ever seen. Two daft questions to, just to end it. This is a really daft one. Ask all our guests, where do you keep your chocolate? In the fridge or the cupboard? Always in the fridge, geese. Always. Down the bottom in their little plastic trays. How these people keep it out of the cupboard, I do not know. It's got to be in the fridge, And man. then keep it in the fridge. And then the last one, who's your favourite out of Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi? Oh, Messi all day long. That easy. All day long. Aye, listen, man. I, listen, it's very bad. The, the, the two of them are... We, the people often talk about world-class players. Um, and what what they two characters have achieved over over the piece uh, is nothing short of incredible. And and listen, it's very difficult. I just I just love the way Messi glides past people, and I understand how how hard the Ronaldo's. I knew people at Man United said they worked incredibly hard to to get the shape, his body, his image, um, and everything. And it's funny because I've got a little boy now who predominantly played rugby. Up until about a year ago, uh, he's only eleven. So, uh, and he he's he's kind of blown away with these guys. Obviously, superstars. And I used to go, I've played against Ronaldo, wee man, uh, and and it, I, he finds it difficult because w- w- when he was born, I was retired. So, just trying to grasp, and that's the reason why you play. We mentioned it earlier on that particular eighties, sorry, nineties, two thousand. Some of the players that were playing uh, at that generation was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I always ask the guests who the favourite was between Cristiano and Leo, but for me, the Brazilian Ronaldo will always be the greatest in my eyes. I'm not sure about yourself. Oh, no, no, no. Listen, he he, he was incredible, but when you look at the longevity of these two guys, uh, yeah. it's just, just remarkable, you know, and the, the goals. Um, and, and listen, I, I would say, and one of the things about uh, Ronaldo is, uh, so single-minded uh, and a bit selfish, whereas I always felt Messi was more of a team player. You know, he'd lay it on a plate for people. But, listen, that's me nitpicking the two of them were sensational. 
Alex, Ray, thank you for your time this evening. Um, as, as always, to our guests, make sure you like, comment and subscribe. Take a listen to Alex and Mark Haitley's podcast, Moving the Goalposts on the 1010 Podcast Network. Thanks for, thanks for coming on, Alex. Um, love to have you on again. We've spent nearly over an hour talking. I reckon we could have talked another 10 hours. So thank you for coming on and take care of yourself. Well, it's my pleasure. Listen, I'll be looking out for Wolves on uh, Monday night. Be safe, partner. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a new season we recommend. I'm Sam Bungie, one of the hosts of West Cork, a story about a community on the far south coast of Ireland that became a kind of paradise for people looking for a fresh start. And nobody knew their past. You could be who you wanted to be rather than who you really were. Then one newcomer was murdered and another was suspected of doing it. I see him in the market and really he's always trying to be normal and trying to get people to like him. But we all know, don't we? Listen to West Cork now on Acast. Acast, Acast, Acast recommends. recommends.